Right. What's up, guys? This is episode 10 of the Four Lifters by Lifters podcast. Uh, first time in double digits and the first time with somebody who played in the NFL. Yo. Uh, we have Brandon Hughes here who uh, who played for the Eagles. I assume you fell in love with Philadelphia, which is why you wanted to stay here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's also the owner of a gym in Levittown, which is my hometown, and it's called Fuel House. So what's going on? Nothing much, brother. What's up with you? <laughs> We're happy to have you here, man. It's uh, it, it's cool diversity having all these different people on here, and with you playing sports at such a high level and being on, um, you know, a fan base that's so passionate about their team, mm-hmm. like it's it's cool. Yeah. So, uh, you and I have talked about it a little bit in the past, but I thought it would be cool to kind of dig into, you know, childhood Brandon. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> not in a not in a psychologist. <laughs> Caught me way. off guard. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, just to kind of tell people, like, what your backstory is and, uh, you know, growing up in the Midwest and, you know, okay. kind of going through that. Well, we, I'll give you the short version. Short version, I was a little skinny kid, grew up in Illinois, um, and had seven brothers and sisters. Seven? Yeah, seven Damn. of us. And um, I was the kid that my mom didn't really have to worry about because I was always running around um, involved in sports and trying to, you know, keep myself busy. Um so I started playing football when I was seven. Contact, too. Not just football. Contact football when I was seven. So when my wife is talking to me sometimes and I'm looking at her like this, she's like, yeah, you've been concussed too many times. But anyway, um, started playing when I was seven and, you know, kind of fell in love with football from there. And then um, over the course of playing Pop Warner football, I figured out I was really fast, and um, I started doing, I started running track probably around like sixth or seventh grade, and you know, I was, I was, I always say that I was much better at track than I was football. Yeah? Yeah, I just had more passion for football, but in track, I was running, um, and I finished off running like 47, 48 in high school in the 400, um, placed fourth in state doing that, and I was, I mean... If it wasn't for my hamstrings, I probably would have broke 47 in high school. So, um, anyway, so, child, so I'm going to go all the way back. So, my childhood was, you know, it was filled with trials and fun at the same time. But, you know, I managed to get to where I was at because um, hard work and, I guess, um, perseverance to be corny. Um, yeah. When you were in high school, were you, like, star athlete? Oh yeah, in high school, uh, I was. I'm still pissed off to this day that I didn't get um, most likely to go pro. <laughs> That's how athletic I f- I was, and <laughs> someone else got. I was I was pissed off. But so there's always like one or two kids in high school when you see them play their sport, you're like, yeah, Yo, you're yeah. gonna do something. Yeah, with you're this. gonna do something. You with were it. that guy. Yeah, yeah. I I knew I could do something with it. I was a knucklehead though. In high school, I was a real knucklehead. Not not the get in trouble kind of kid. So I wasn't running around doing doing shit that I wasn't supposed to be doing. I was just not interested in school. And it's just it's just never it's just, it's just never been my thing. And um I guess a long story short, it took me three tries the the past geometry. Um <laughs> um literature I didn't I didn't particularly do well in either because I wasn't interested in the content that um you know, if you the the issue with schools is 
especially when you're from I would I wouldn't say I'm from the inner city, but when you're from lower community places, the the content doesn't really relate to you, even and they still teach it, and they expect you to be interested in it, and you don't see anyone in the books that look like you that. Um, I wouldn't say sound like you because you're reading, but you know you can just you you just don't get the feel that you actually connect to what they're teaching. Um, so I was a a bit of a knucklehead. Um, come my senior year, my driver's ed teacher Ted Smith, um, he asked me. He goes, he says Brandon, because he was I was having an incredible season, and he goes Brandon, where are you going to school? And I said, uh, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean you don't know? I said I don't know. He was like, what's going on? So my high school track coach, not my high school track coach, my high school football coach, the head football coach, and he was also somehow a part, I think his daughter threw, um, like the hell you call that thing? Yeah, yeah. threw the shot put. And I'll never forget it to this day. He comes out to practice. I'm sitting there with three of my um, buddies in high school. He comes out to practice. He's like, yo, Illinois, University of Illinois came out. And I was just like, okay, so. <laughs> because he, he said, I told him flat out. He, he's, he pointed at one, you're too small. Pointed at one and said, you can go and play. And pointed at me and said, you're too small and not smart enough. And I was like, <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> like, what kind of stuff? What, what, how do you tell a, a high school kid something like that? Yeah. Even if you believe it, like, he had the nerves, he had the balls to say it. Right. You know, so from that day forward, I was – you know, I was determined to prove him wrong, but I just couldn't because behind the scenes, he everybody that came to visit, he would tell them that same nonsense. And so my by the time what it was probably late if March and you know, by the, by then people have already committed. Right. You know, cuz I'm in I'm in going into um outdoor track season, so it wasn't it was probably April in Illinois. Um and just so happened, I was learning to drive that year, and my driver's ed coach was, lo and behold, an ex-Canadian football coach. And he was like, no, this is not going to be the way that this happens. So he made a call to Coach Gilstrap, who used to coach in the Canadian League with Coach Riley, who was the head coach at Oregon State at the time. Back in the day, they had VHSs, you remember. Oh, yeah. He sends the cassette out to him. Within a week, they're calling me, telling me I'm coming out on a visit. I come out on a visit. They lied to me and said that they had a criminal justice department, but that's cool because <laughs> I wanted to go to school for criminal justice. But I went out there anyway, went on the visit, and I was like, yo, where's criminal justice department? They're like, oh, it's coming. I was like, <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> oh, okay. It's like, what about the track team? Oh, it's coming. <laughs> I was like, you mother. Like you lying pieces of no, but it, it turned out to be I end up signing that same day. Um the full ride. Full ride scholarship to Oregon State. So I ended up signing that's um basically how I got into um I guess major sports. How was it going from high school to that college transition? Oh, it was tough. It was tough because you realize how much natural ability you you can get by on, but at a certain level, it has to go past, all right, I'm natural at this, to actually putting in the effort and putting in the work. Like I went to college at maybe 160, and I left at 182, 
and I started as a receiver, and I finished as a cornerback, which was even more difficult because I played cornerback in high school, but I didn't really play it. I was just the best, one of the better players. So they just put me out there. Maybe your speed could. Yeah, my speed. Yeah, and all we did was play like cover three, and you know whatnot. Um, But. I went to Oregon State. They found out. Well, I, I think they knew I couldn't catch. <laughs> and it was like, this this kid is so athletic. We got to get him here. I don't care what it takes. Just get him here. And it was a good gamble for them. It was a good mix for me. Next thing you know, I'm playing cornerback after my freshman year. And just, you know, put my head down and worked at it and got really good at it, which is funny because my first game at Louisville – um, sorry if I'm dominating the conversation. I can talk. It's just so you know. <laughs> um, my first game, um, it was my redshirt fresh, freshman year. The corner, so this is probably like game four or five into the season. The starting corners, they weren't getting the job done. I just put it that way. They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And I was maybe like sixth on the depth chart going in there. I was supposed to be just like a gunner releasing, going down there, make him play, catch the ball, and that's the day, you know. And they we went to Louisville, starting corners getting torched. And then they put the backup corners in, and they're getting worked. And then they, they, I don't know what got into Coach Riley that day, but he was like, I am not getting embarrassed on national television. And so he threw me in there. And I'm standing out there looking at everybody like, holy sh- <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> and so the first play, Coach, he talks about this to He'll write on like my Facebook. And he, talk about, he talks about this to, to this day. He'll call Ake Bell. Eight bell is you get to the line of scrimmage, you come up to the person, you look at them, you give them a handshake. You don't really shake the hand, but, you know, you look at them. They can tell you scared of shit. And at the snap of the ball, you pose the bell out and just take off. They catch anything. It's fine, except for the fade. Well, I came out there, and I started the bell, and the guy started, he gave me a little, and I stopped. 65-yard touchdown. First play ever <laughs> in college. I was like, and coach was pissed. He comes, I, I came back to the sideline. He goes, it's eight, Bill, just Bill. I'm like, I'm not even supposed to be in the game. I don't know why you're yelling at me. <laughs> like, am I going back out there? Didn't leave me alone and let me focus. It turned out I had a decent game after that. It was just that first play was, ooh, Lord. You know what? You got to get it out of the way, though, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Nothing worse can happen than that. So now you're exactly. good and your confidence is up. Exactly. It's like, well, if that's the worst that can happen, it really feel that bad. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are already getting killed, right? Oh, so. oh, they beat the brakes off us. I think they beat us like 63 to 7. It was bad. That's when they had – um. Uh, anyway, go ahead. I can't remember his name. He was a big so, dude, though. So you at Oregon State for mm-hmm. how many years? Uh, Five. Did you graduate? Yes. What was your undergrad degree? Um, uh, communication and writing. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Lo and behold. Yeah. You yeah. like to talk and I'm sure you like to, to write. I like to write, too. <laughs> I'm actually a pretty good writer yeah. uh, when I apply myself. <laughs> so you uh, you entered the NFL in what year? 2009. 2009? Mm-hmm. What was that like? Um, it was fun. The NFL was a good time. I played more for the fun of the game, and the NFL was definitely more, way more business-like. Um, so that was the biggest adjustment. I don't think I ever adjusted to that. 
Um, and it's hard when you're on teams where you're like all the teams I play for always had big names and small results. So the players that we had definitely never cared about the team aspect of it. Like I, th- I always tell people, well, I don't always tell people, but I would have been a great fit in a place like New England, where it's about the team and. Obviously, you want to get paid, but you can go, you're going to go somewhere else to get paid because they're not going to pay you because they know it's about the team, and that's what makes the winning fun, and that's what makes the sports fun. That's what makes it easy for you to go 16 games, um, eight of them in the, in the grueling cold, and ball. So. What was your first experience being on the field? Um, preseason. Uh, a preseason in San Diego. It was fun. Um, I mean, at that, at the, the NFL isn't much different from college. Actually, the college atmosphere is better, if if that makes any sense. So I think so too. The college atmosphere is surreal. The NFL is just all right. You they're paying you a lot of money to perform, and so they treat it that way. Um, so as far as the experience on the field, it was it, it was fun. It wasn't much different from what I was used to. So um, I guess it was. I guess the coolest thing about it was I was able to come out with the San Diego Charger logo and the uniform, and I felt a part of it. Um, and I was, I I could at that point say, hey, I was a part of the NFL fraternity, and there aren't too many people that can actually um, say that. Everybody but, wants and to get say there. it legitimately. Like I, I didn't go to camp; I played five years, <laughs> right? And I was on the field. And I got actually, I actually have stats. <laughs> like, not too many people can say that. So, what was it like getting your first paycheck? Um, shoot, my first paycheck was for a hundred and eleven thousand dollars. Big paycheck. Yeah, it was supposed to be one hundred eighty-one, but you know, the <laughs> state of California, they like, they love the tax year. Um, so, um, it was. I'm not really big on money. So it was fun to get the check, and it was like, dang, that's $111,000. But I come from nothing, so I really didn't understand what $111,000 meant. And so I had a good older brother, and he um, told me to invest it, and I put most of it into investment. I bought my my car that I still drive today. I'm actually going to fix it. <laughs> yeah, it's 11 years old, and I, I'm like, yeah, my baby ain't going back to the dealer. I'm learning how to fix cars now. Um how you keep your money. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and my wife wants to get rid of him, but I'm like, no, you ain't getting rid of my baby. She didn't, we, me and her done been through some things. Um, anyway, um, so I ended up paying my mom's house off with it, got her, you know, I spent most of that check on her. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I spent most of that check on her and put a lot of it away. So. It's a big moment, though, when you realize that, uh, you know, everything that you've worked for through high school and college, and then, yeah. and then you get paid for it. Yeah. Now, I, you realize that later. Um, I reali- Well, I realized that later and down, down the road when the checks got bigger. So, like, the $111,000 check was cool, but um, weekly, for 16 weeks, I think at one point I was making almost $22,000. That's fun. That. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's pre-taxes, but you're still making a lot of money. Were you ever in the so. mindset that, uh, you know, this is going to last forever? You, you hear about you, that a lot in the in the NBA. So that's the sad thing about it. So you have a – when you first come into the NFL, there is 
they have the Ricky Symposium, which is crap, if you ask me. Um, they need to do away with it and do a better job with it. Um, do a better job with the content. But then you'll... Uh, we had a really good uh, player development guy by the name of Arthur. Um, I can't remember his last name, but we called him Arthur. And he put on a nine-week, basically, seminar for the rookies. And that's when we learned everything that we needed to know um, about being a professional athlete from the financial si side of things, from the emotional side of things, as far as uh, your in the individuals that's going to be tugging at you. Um, also from the women, <laughs> you know, about the women that you could encounter, not saying that all women are like that towards athletes, but you learn about the ones that, you know, if you get trapped, you're going to get trapped. And that's just the nature of being a professional, any professional, um, person. It can be a man or a woman. You flip it. You know, I mean, everybody always, anytime you have money, yeah, you're exactly, more attractive. Exactly. So, um, I don't want to sound sexist here, but you know, I'm a. So either way, you can flip it. And the one thing that they always emphasized was the fact that this ain't going to last forever. The average NFL lifespan is three years. It's pretty short. Pretty short. Everybody look at the Tom Brady's and um, the Larry Fitzgerald's, and they're like, yo, they made a lot of money. Uh, but then you got to look at the bottom 40 people. Right. Actually, I wouldn't even say body, bottom 45 because only six or seven people getting paid nowadays. Um, and those guys have to realize that it's not going to last forever. And my biggest regret is not investing in um, not just putting the, my money away um, because I did do that, but not investing in some sort of small business that I didn't have to run, but that was always going to be like a cash cow like some kind of like landscaping or something or like always with all those restaurants yeah, exactly yeah. something that is always making money and that you don't necessarily have to worry about you just have to kind of maintain right um and since i lived in san diego i should have probably invested in a, a small little cottage on the beach hindsight. and just always hindsight's 2020 <laughs> the, you're right so uh, when you're in the NFL, did they have, like, what, how was the training set up? Um, like, as far as how did we train like, for this? Yeah, like like uh, strength and conditioning training. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's all, listen, I don't want to be disrespectful because I know you're in the powerlifting and all that, right? Yeah. The bodybuilding and all that. It's all antiquated. It's not, it's not up to speed. To, it's not up to date with the modern athlete. And so what I'm saying is, like, we'll we'll you'll have the big big four, big three, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. You know, you're gonna squat, you're gonna bench, you're gonna do a little bit of power clean or hang clean or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you know, they might throw something else in there, but uh, you're they're so worried, we're so cognizant about not getting you injured. It's almost as if you. You can at the facility. You will do the bare minimum, and they're more focused. They're more focused on. All right, we got to get him a lift. After you get his lift, we got to give him time to the maintain his body, treat his body, hot tub, cold tub, and then the most important aspect is the football side. Um, I always found it more beneficial to go outside of the facility because 
outside of the facility, you're getting it, and there and it's athletic based. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the the, the NFL training structure isn't as athletic based as it should be, and it's more preventative. You would think, like prevent, like for injury prevention. Um, yeah, I would say it's more for injury prevention and to say that. I mean, it's it's good for maintaining. It's not good for if you want to take the next step and be like a Tom Brady or be like a James Harrison or something, yeah. you have to get outside the facility because it's just not set up for you to to accelerate your your um athletic potential. So you think uh, some of these guys on the you know in the mainstream uh like James Harrison, Brian mm-hmm. Dawkins, like these guys with a ton of muscle on them, mm-hmm. you think that they're doing most of that outside of the oh, 100%. facility? Yes. Yes, like um and during OTAs even up the training camp, you won't even see those guys. No? No, you won't see them. They'll show up for a mini camp, and they'll be diesel as hell. <laughs> and you're like, damn, where'd they go? But the lower guys can't leave. And that's what makes it hard. Because until you start to make money like that, you have to be at the facility because they have to see you, and that's the only way that they believe that you're invested in into your craft. That's why they're in the contracts is built in. Because the older guys, especially as they get older, that they have to spend X amount of time at OTAs, X amount of time um, at a minicamp. Because they won't see those guys all year after the season until training camp starts. Is there not enough time in the day to be able to do both? Clarify, please. Uh, I mean, to, to be there for all the OTAs for the young guys and do training on your own at a private facility. Well, you're, you're not going to double train. At that level. It's just too um, much on the body. Yeah, at that at that level, it's like the season already beat the hell out of you. And by the time you actually get the feeling good, you have to start training. And you're not going to double train. You're definitely not going to train and then go and play, do the one thing that you don't want to do is play football. <laughs> you know, like you, you don't want to do that unless you're like a quarterback or um, – or like a kicker or something. You don't really want to be at the facility during OTAs because I'm s I don't want to be chasing this guy and cutting with him when I'm gonna have to do that from mid July all the way till February when I could just be training and I could cut at my leisure and cut for a purpose. Rather than I already know that what the playbook is. I don't need to learn the playbook. It's good to practice your craft, but you can practice your craft at another facility where all the other guys are and the guys that you're really going to be competing with the guys at OTAs when I was young and, and if like Vincent Jackson was there, he don't want to play against me, you know, like not my rookie year. Like he, he's like, why am I here? You know, I'm right. just, you know, this is a waste of time because he's not going to actually see me on the field. Those guys are at um, like a Parisi's or something gotcha. getting in work like a Tom Shaw. Well, he's with, um, Oakland now, but like they would go down to like Tom Shaw, very specific or, training. Yeah, very specific, and you know that's how they got better at their craft. What about food? Did the NFL provide you any food, guys? Yeah, um, no, <laughs> they provided food. I'm sorry, I thought you was going to ask if they provided food. We had training table. Um, the best staff that I was around that actually. Um, put an emphasis on nutrition was um, Chip Kelly's staff. He was all about nutrition, hydrating, and all that. He just didn't know shit about football. 
<laughs> and it showed on the field. Um, <laughs> but other than that, he was really big on it. But that's another thing that was all, that was lacking. And you would thought that you would you would think that it would be more of a of an intentional um, more of an intentional thing. Well, you still hear stories about like well, people roasting LeBron for eating like junk food and mm-hmm. this and that, but I, I don't think most yeah. people understand yeah. how much calories how much... you guys are expending yeah. throughout the day. Yes. And uh, I feel like if he weren't to eat that like that yeah. calorie dense food, mm-hmm. he would probably wither away. Well, let's put it this way: LeBron probably has his own chef. Right. <laughs> you know, he he's clearly always in phenomenal shape. You know, we'll we'll talk about late game. I mean, he ain't clutch, but, you know, he's always in phenomenal shape. Um, He's always one of the best players. Well, he always is the best player up until recently on the the court when you talk about – when you look at it from an athletic standpoint. Like, there's nobody that can touch LeBron. So, if somebody is nitpicking at him eating a junk food, so be it. He's always in phenomenal shape, and he's always he he clearly has his nutrition down to the point where he knows what he can put into his body. And if anyone has an issue with him, go see him on the court and have fun. So he run you over. After college, I worked in a luxury hotel group. That was my mm-hmm. major in college. So I was out in California doing that, and we would always have like uh, singers, rappers. Um, you know, athletes, Jerry Jones was there, mm-hmm. um, you know, you name it, they stayed at this hotel. And the athletes always had guys running to get them junk food. Yeah. I mean, just nonstop junk food. Yeah. And, uh, Me too. but <laughs> to this day, and it's just how it is. It's just how it is, man. You, a lot of the times, a, a lot of the junk food habit um, was created in the film room because you're in there. For two and a half, three hours. That's how they get you to show up? Well, no, you got to watch film. If you're going to play a professional sport, you better watch film, or otherwise you're going to get roasted. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> um, so, but that is one of the, that is one of the ways that they, um, I guess, drill in a bunch of content into you. A bunch of content into you. So, um, yeah, so well, guys are always in there chewing speeds, chewing not speeds, <laughs> chewing seeds and spitting them out, which is the most disgusting thing you can actually look at all day. It's just a guy, like it's Good just he didn't it's just baseball. nasty. But then you have the guys like Namdi would Namdi loved um like candy, you know, like I loved candy. So hey, uh, you, you you already know who's the guy that's gonna have the book bag full of candy. Let me get one. Let me get a Starburst. Because <laughs> it just helps you stay focused, you yeah. know, when you're just sitting there just looking at a screen, coach talking some bullshit that you don't want to hear, and he yelling at you, and you just sitting there eating Starburst, like, all right, man, can we, we must move on. Let's get to the next the next thing. It gets you through. So that's where I guess when the habit really starts. Yeah, you know, your your career is you moving, right? So yes. the, the, maybe the bad food didn't have such detrimental effects. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So. What was the the biggest thing that you took away from playing in the NFL? Um, oh man, let, let's just relate that to sports in general. All right, not just the NFL. Um, the biggest thing is you, in order to be successful at anything, you have to have a solid team, and but that team, there has to be it has to be so specific. 
Um, I know, like, from running Fuel House, right now, like, I'm like a one-man show. I have other coaches, but I'm just talking about from the back end. Right. Um, doing all the other stuff. Like, the I do making. the decision-making. Yeah. I do the books. I do, um, well, I have an accountant, but, you know, I got to pr- yeah. prepare the information for them. You know, I contact, I have to directly contact my customers and you know have conversations with them when when their card isn't going to be or when they're late on a payment um and then i have my training staff um aaron and nikki and i have to also be able to um, articulate exactly what it is that i want from them and football taught me that the more detailed you can be um and the more um you can bring people in and make them feel like they're a part of it instead of for just being there, um, the more successful you can you can and will be. So the biggest thing is has always been for, for me, which was the hardest thing about the NFL, was the teamwork aspect of it, where um where you you actually see how how either how you can fail or you can be successful, and it's all based on one making someone making everyone feel like they're a part of it, but two the detail that you can put into um, the communication behind what it is the ultimate goal is. It's deep. Yeah, it's a thought. <laughs> you guys do have a really good team over at Fuel House. Yeah. everybody over there is great. Yeah, we got a good. We got a great team. Um, they kind of feed they feed off my energy because I'm a very laid back person, and I am definitely going to make you feel, um, everyone feel like they're a part of it. Like you hear, you'll hear, um, one of the biggest complaints because I ask about every gym in the area. You know, one of the biggest complaints that you'll always hear is I just didn't feel a part of it, or he he only focuses on a certain segment and doesn't really pay attention to everyone else. Or doesn't really show everyone else. Well, when you walk in the fuel house, when you old, I make you feel old. When you're young, I make you feel young. When you're lazy, I'm making you feel lazy. You're always a part of it. And I'm all, there's always something to banter with um, an individual about. You just got to find that common ground. And a lot of, a lot of the times, um, well, a lot of the time, my st- staff see me operate in that kind of fashion so it's easy for them to follow suit. to follow suit yeah yeah so what what made you want to go into the gym business man like, I, just I, love, I think it's one of the most difficult businesses it is. Up, out there just it's up there with it, restaurants it's it's difficult it's easy it's there's not a lot of overhead which is good but it's not easy to make money um especially when you know you especially when you're you, you're not a chain <laughs> You know, it's hard to make money. But um, I'm sorry, repeat the question. What made you want to open a gym? Oh, I I just fell in love with fitness in um, San Diego. Um, a guy named Vern Stevens was my strength and conditioning coach, and he pushed me to the limit when I got injured. And I was there every day for like three hours a day and working on just getting my body right um, and just becoming just a better football player and I just fell in love with it and I told everybody was like when I get done with this I'm gonna open my own facility and initially I've my my first thought was athletes because that was my athletic 
background speaking, but it morphed into just the everyday person that wants to get better. But you you turn those people into athletes. Yes. So that's still yes. there. So Fuel House, what we will do, what you will get at Fuel House, okay? Um, the first thing you'll get is community, which is by far the most important as far as when you as far as wanting to achieve goals um what i what i found is that one-on-one private training doesn't doesn't do anything for people um in the long term because they just don't have yeah yeah you gotta have like a a mindset mindset to go one-on-one right and continue and be thorough and and continuous about it because it's it's there's just no motivation. You probably like, have to have a very specific goal. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like it's got to be. A, I want to get in my dress for a wedding, not just in my dress. It's got to be like for something. But the community feel is what drives people, and I th- I just talked about that. That's what makes. That's how people get done what they need to get done. They can do it in a community. We're very social creatures. If we are isolated or we we feel like. You know, it's just us. We don't really do well with that. You know, most people don't. Um, there are some that that do, and they're just probably nuts anyway, and you don't want to run into them in an alley. But, <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. I think it's motivating when you have somebody, uh, let's say, like, you have somebody who's a 40-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe she had a couple kids, mm-hmm. uh, and she wanted to lose weight. And then she loses weight. She now looks phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then you have another member that joins, yeah. and that's in the same situation mm-hmm. as, you know, the previous woman was uh, before. Mm-hmm. And they're able to say, like, okay, well, that person did it. Yeah. You know, I know that if I just follow the program, you know, mm-hmm. I'll get there, too. You'll get there, too. Yep. But that's the that's when you when they come in and you wait for them to start struggling. You don't tell them about that person in the beginning. Right. You know, because they've already seen the pictures and they've seen That's why the content. There. That's why they're there. Yeah. And then they see that it's hard and it's difficult to actually um, not just develop a good habit, but continue a good habit. And then that you find that one moment where they're slipping and you're like, and you can tell they're just ready to give up. And then you go to your phone or you pull that person that's in the room right now at the, and they didn't know. And you're like, yo, come here. And then you allow them to tell their story. And you can just see it clicks again. And you just wait for that moment. Reignites the fire. It reignites the fire. Um, but um, just, to, just to go back to what I was saying, um, we, are be- we are very much an athletic-based gym. Um, I don't believe in grinding you out. And I don't care about how much money you – I mean, not how much money, how much weight you can lift. Um, I am more um, – I am more – interested in you becoming the best you can outside of the gym meaning i always tell people when they come i don't care if you can lift 200 pounds i want you if you if you have kids and you're playing with them and you're tired when you when you run up the driveway i want you to be able to run up the fucking driveway and then pick up a ball and do something that you weren't able to do with your significant other or loved one or just if you've been playing hockey and you just you I, when you come up to me in the gym and you say hey brandon i feel so much better that's what i'm looking for right and that's what's important to it's fulfilling be. yeah if uh if you were to go back and do it all over again do mm-hmm. you think you would still follow the same path going to college playing nfl yeah ball? yeah i wouldn't do anything different the one thing actually the one thing that i would do different um 
and it's only because of my my age. I don't know if I would do if if I was blessed with the same wisdom back then, and I didn't have the wisdom now. Um, I would have um, accepted the business side of the sport of the NFL um, more, and that would have made me a much better player. I see what you're saying. I yeah. thought you, I thought you're going in the route that you could have made a lot more money off of being a, a pro football player. Well, yeah, were... that, I mean that, which would equate to more money, but it would have also just equated to me just being a better foot, a better player, a better teammate, um, just just a better professional. Uh, because I always feel like I never miss it, but there are a lot of things that I know I left on the table because I never came the terms with the fact that hey it's a business and you need to treat it that way you know yeah. I, I got burnt out of it because i never accepted the fact that it was a business now it makes sense yeah so i just want to hit you one more question right. before we wrap it up yeah before my wife punched me in the face freakiest athlete you ever encountered dominique rogers camardi hands yeah. down no question <laughs> don't ask another question the man is a freak of nature freak i'm talking about I've never seen anything like the dude. Just overall athletic ability? Overall, he was smart, too, when he applied himself. He was very smart. But could, he he was 6'2". He could cut like a 5'6 guy. He could run like Hussein Bolt. He could jump like, um, let's say, Michael Jordan jumped from the foul or something like that. Like He had like a 40-something-inch vertical, 42-inch vertical. Um not only that, his eye-hand coordination. He he could catch anything. He could. I, I mean, it was it was surreal how athletic the guy was. The guy he should. I told. I used to tell him all the time. You should be the best corner in the league. And there's the only reason why you why you aren't is because you play too fucking much. So you need more rest time. Huh? Play as in he physically plays too yeah, much. Yeah, he, he plays play, games. No, he <laughs> plays too much. Like he 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 was a jokester. Nothing was serious to him because he was able to get by on superior talent. Like he should, he should be Hall of Fame, no questions asked. They should be talking about him over Deion Sanders, if you ask me. He's that athletic. That's wild. Yes. Cool. Yeah, Brandon. If people want to follow you, what's the easiest way for them to do so? Um, the best way to see exactly what we do um, is to go to Instagram and fuel underscore house all right so it's fuel underscore house on instagram or go to facebook and just type in fuel house look for the barbell with the fist and follow us that way that's the best way to see our content to see what we deliver to see how crazy i'm i actually am and to see how awesome our community is all right guys give brandon a follow Thanks hey for being, thank you that's brother good, man. thank you that was, great. That was fun